What's going on? It's Kilo, and we are back for another episode of the regular podcast on the regular network. It's real. All right, y'all, it's that time again. Time to get some, some what I think is good information out there to you. And it's time for you to share, subscribe, like, comment. Let me know what you think in the comment section. And tell a friend to tell a friend. Do all the good stuff that um, will help us out when it comes to growing the network and growing the channel. Excuse me if you see like a good shadow over my eyes. I got the my brim on with the light above my head shining down. So we're going to go with the shadowy eye look today. It has been an eventful news week if you are into all the pop culture stuff. I don't have a lot of, uh, I got one thing, but I'm actually bypassed the Kanye thing because it's like still developing and I don't even have a full list of all the corporations that cut ties with him. So I'm not even going to get into that right now. Um, Again, make sure you please subscribe to the channel. Working on it, you know, slowly building, but we're getting a lot more engagement, especially over the last month. So I appreciate everybody who's been watching and paying attention to what's going on, especially politically, because that's that's the biggest message that we want to push is to stay active in politics. I won't tell you who to vote for. I won't tell you who to support. I just tell you what I think and I'll tell you um, to make sure you stay active. Okay. so with that being said, first thing I want to do is a lot of people are being told right now that they need to vote, right? But they're not being really given much instructions when it comes to, I see a lot of people pushing the voter message, the, the you need to vote message, but they're not helping people understand the process. You know what I mean? So they wanna get as many people registered as possible. They wanna get as many people to show up to the poll location and just vote for whatever name or whoever has the message that you've seen the most on TV essentially, right? But they don't, they don't spend a lot of time talking to you about the resources, especially in Georgia, the resources to learn about what's going on with the election. So I want to show you all real quick um, how to vote. This is how to vote in Georgia. And there should be a similar process in many other states, but I'll just show you Georgia because that's where I live at and I know the process. Okay. First thing you want to do, you want to go to MVP, that's MVP.SOS. Dot ga dot gov, right, and that is the my voter portal, pretty much, of, or it's called my voter page actually, and it's pretty much it'll let you log in with your first initial, last name, the county you live in, and then your date of birth. You don't need any passwords. You don't need to create an account. You don't have to do any of that because if you are a registered voter. In this county, in the county that you live in, your information will come up here. Um, I don't know how they handle people with the same initials or same first initial, last name, and that were born on the same day in the same county, because there are some common names out there. I don't know how they handle that. All I can tell you is this is the page where you can log in to look at your voter information. Being that there's a lot of personal information on here, I'm going to have to show you screenshots where I whited some things out. But let me show you the first thing you'll see when you log in to that page. You will see. So here's what here's what it look. Oh, excuse me. Okay, let me let me maximize this puppy here. 
this is what you'll see when you log in, right? The, 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 you'll see the logo up here, Georgia Online Voter Registration, right? My voter registration information here, you'll see my voting location, and these are menu tabs. You can click on all of them and get this info. My voter participates in history, absentee ballot portal, and my district and elected officials, right? So the first section on the my voter, uh, my registration information is personal information. You'll have your first name, last name, uh, middle name, last name, your gender, your registration date, your race, the race that you go by on the registration, and your status. This here is the most important part of this voter registration process, right? In the voting process, you want to make sure you are an active voter. A lot of stuff what, what um, Stacey Abrams has been talking about is people being purged from voter registration. So make sure you are active. If anything changes or if they, if the secretary or, or your county voting officials attempt to send you some type of mail that needs a response and you don't respond within a certain amount of time, it will automatically make you an inactive voter in the state. You, would, you won't even know it until you go and attempt to vote and they'll tell you that you're not registered. They'll tell you that you're inactive and you'll have to go figure out why on your own. All right. So before you attempt to go vote, log into here. Again, you don't need to make an account. Log into this and make sure your status says active. Also make sure your residential address is correct, right? Street number, street name, apartment if you have one, uh, the city, county, state, and make sure the mailing address is correct also. Because like I said, they will check people once in a while by sending mail, official elections mail to your mailing location. And if you don't respond within a certain amount of time, they will make you inactive. Okay? That's the first thing I want to show you. Next thing I want to show you in this process is if you scroll down on that, on that initial My Registration Information page, you can view your sample ballot. This is the, val the ballot that is specific to the area that you will be voting in. This is a great, great, great tool right here, right? The reason this is such a great tool is because this is what brings me to the part that is always left out when it comes to voters and, and how to vote, right? When you click on view sample ballot, and I won't do it because it'll have to show my personal information, so I have a screenshot or I, ha I have to go to another tab. When you click on view sample ballot, you can come here and this is the entire sample ballot for the area that you live in. Again, this is a tool in Georgia. I hope every state has this. This is the thing. If you watch the uh, debate between Stacey Abrams and Brian Kemp, this is the, the, the portal that Brian Kemp was bragging about creating when he was secretary of state. And I must admit, this is a good portal. You can't knock it. You can't knock it. This is really a really good thing. Okay, so as you can see, you have United States Senate right there at the top for governor, lieutenant governor. Now, the reason it's important to see your sample ballot and the most important process in the voting season, you want to get you a sample ballot and research every single person on here, not just the person you think you want to vote for. Research everybody on here. Also, when you get over to parts like uh, for Fulton County soil and water conservation or when you start to get into these resolution acts and things like that 
you want to read up on them. What do they mean? When they start to saying, do you want to, do you vote yes on making this change to the constitution or do you vote yes on using tax money to do X, Y, Z in the school system? Read up on all of this stuff before you go and vote. This is the biggest thing that they leave out. This is the biggest thing that is left out when it comes to telling new voters about the elections process. And they barely tell people when they when they register people, they barely tell them how to find their poll location. OK, let me let me show you how you can find your poll location. So on that, oh, excuse me, on that on that front screen, right? When you, when you log in, up here in the menu bar, you will see my voting location, right? And that will give you the address to the location where you are registered to vote, or it'll give you the address to the, lo to the polling location that is for your county and for the area that you live in. So it's very specific to you. So you don't have to worry about going to the wrong place. If you go into this portal and it says you're active and it has a polling location in here, that is the correct one. You won't have to worry about it. And, it'll, and if you're in Atlanta, it's a good chance. It's, it's a pretty close drive for you, right? What is next that I wanted to show you guys? Also, now, if you go into this portal, you can also look at your voter participation history, right? Let me show you all my voter participation history. It, and it gives you all... Anytime you ever voted, it's, it's public record, all right? It is public record, th the fact that you voted, but it's not public record who you voted for, right? So that's up to you. But if you if you look here, you can see that I just voted early on 10-17. So first day of the first day of the election, uh, early voting season that just passed last week, I voted. So you can see that right here, 10-17. The election is not until... Um, November 8th. And I know some of y'all, you, you know, some of y'all might be looking at my registration date here and you'll say, man, you talk all this uh, 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 political stuff and you just got registered last year. No, I didn't. That is, so every time you move to a new location and you register in that new location, it will update your registration date. So it doesn't mean you were never registered before that. It just means that this is the most recent and current registration that you have. So if you go here, my first time voting in Georgia was actually um, the general election in 2016. And, and you can see that down here. Again, this is amazing that you can see your history of voting in a state, right? So, and, and, and this is just good. It's just a good uh, resource to have, I think. Now, another great resource on this portal, my district and elected officials, which is also up here across the top bar, my district and elected officials. Let me show you what, what it shows when you get there, right? So here's my districts and elected officials. Now I can go, I can click this link here and get a list of all of my statewide elected officials. This is everybody who, this is everybody in the entire state who's been elected, right? This is my city council district, district one of South Fulton City, the state house, District is uh, 061. The County Commission District is the Commission um, District 6. I can get a view of the entire Congressional District map. My State Senate is 38 District. My Municipality Code here. My Judicial Code here. Congressional District. Now, this is the U.S. Congressional District, right? 
and the county school board. Again, this is how you vote. They tell you too much of, they give you this overview thing and they tell you, go vote, go vote, get out and vote, vote or die. No, no, the, the crazy stuff that they've been out here saying, right? But they don't tell you how. I'm telling you how right here. You go on here, you find out all your information and do this before you attempt to go to the poll location. Trust me on this. I will detach you. Okay. So that's, that's all I got on that, on that topic there. Um, let me let me make a hard shift here, man. Let me make a hard shift, right? Because I wanted to give a major shout out to LeBron James and his son, Bronny James, for, you know, these major deals that Bronny is signing right now, these NIL deals. I, I won't get deep into the details because that's not really the point of my what I'm about to say right now. Pretty much Bronny just signed a big Nike deal, right? He's the he's the highest paid high school Nike. I think he's the yeah he's the highest paid high school Nike athlete, of course, right now, right? But then Bronny also made history as being the first high school athlete to sign a an endorsement deal with Beats Beats by Dre, right? Beats, which is owned by Apple Inc. right now, right? The reason that's so big is because LeBron James is actually the first person that the company ever partnered with as far as celebrity ambassadors, right? So LeBron being their first ambassador ever, and then for Bronny to be the first high school NIL deal that they do, major stuff. First high school athlete that they signed, period, right? I don't think they put exact numbers out there, but just know it's in the millions. Bronny is getting money. Now, I've seen people having a conversation about nepotism, and this is a, an amazing thing. As black people, we should be applauding it because nobody has done a better job. I won't say nobody because you got the um, Cheryl McKissick and her family. They've been going, they've been going hard, and even Jordan having his kids working at Nike and stuff. There are good examples out there, but LeBron is the most on the forefront of nepotism, putting his friends in places that, without his help, they probably wouldn't be and they probably wouldn't even have access to these these places right friends and family now with his son starting to get into the swing of getting major deals and stuff like that and we should all use this as a good example of less because too many times and I, I don't i don't do this but too many times you hear people kind of talk down on a person it's like as if they didn't work as hard to get what they got just because one of their parents helped them out it's like oh you're spoon fed silver spoon all that type of stuff. And it's like, that's how people get ahead. That's how so many people have gotten so far ahead in this country and in this world because they do it everywhere. If I have connections and if I have reset resources and assets, why wouldn't I give them to my family or my somebody in my close circle before I give them to anybody else? It just makes the most sense, right? And I want to say, LeBron is doing an amazing job doing that, but this leads me to another topic that I want to get to. LeBron didn't have anybody to lean on when it comes to his his empire that he's building, right? So he couldn't mess up. He didn't have the luxury of, you know, effing off his money for a little bit and then just coming back and saying, okay, I'm cool now. I, I don't want to F off anymore. I'll just be rich and keep on making millions and billions of dollars, right? He essentially had to be morally as, as good of a human as you possibly can be coming from his circumstances to sustain his wealth growing, 
and his wealth building over time, right? Because an entire ecosystem of people are around him, depending on him to not to stay in his lane, first of all, and to not make any ridiculous decisions that could affect everybody around him. But his son, Bronny, is not in that situation. His son has the cushion of a LeBron James. He has a cushion of uh, the network that LeBron James has created for him and, and around him, right? It's, it's like they, they built a, an ironclad fortress, a pillow around him and everybody that comes after them, which is what they normally call generational wealth, right? They built this fortress around them so that if they, if they made dumb mistakes, if they did fall, if they did fail, they will land on millions of dollars. And I say that to say a lot of us don't realize that we need to be the ironclad pillow and environment around our kids. A lot of us around my age, I'm in my early 30s, a lot of us think we need to hit the home run and we need to become the billionaire. Even though we come from, we lived in the projects, even though we come from supreme poverty, we come from these ridiculous situations, we make wild, we take a lot of, a lot of us take a lot of risks thinking that we can hit the lottery and not the literal lottery, but some type of financial lottery that could take us to some billionaire status overnight. And really what we're doing is making a bunch of hasty decisions that lead us into a position where we don't have anything to leave for our kids. So, and let me let me keep it a, a thousand percent real right now, because normally what I want I wouldn't do, I wouldn't normally call things out specifically because it'll make some some of my people feel like they're being targeted. But let me let me tell you real quick. Things like music, things like acting, things like athletics, the idea that a lot of us have where we can and, and gambling, so I say gambling, athletics, music, and, and acting, like the TV and film world. A lot of us have these grand dreams of being of making it big in those fields, right? Where it, if it makes us take a lot of risks, it makes us spend a lot of our last money to pursue those dreams, whereas we should be thinking about creating stability for our kids so that they can realize their dreams in full potential. A lot of the people that y'all see that are billionaires, that are, that are quote unquote self-made billionaires and, and self-made millionaires, most, the vast, vast, vast majority of them, even if they didn't inherit wealth, their parents were middle class. They didn't come, they, they weren't self-made from the situations that you're from. You understand? And I'm saying you because most of the people who watch this are black and they come from environments like me. You know, I'm from Youngstown, Ohio, one of the most impoverished cities in the country, constantly at the top of the list for poverty. Right. A lot of the people on those lists that y'all see when they call them self-made, it's because their parents didn't hand them millions or billions of dollars, but their parents weren't poor. This is what y'all what people don't realize. A lot of those people's parents had amazing jobs. Bill Gates is considered a self-made billionaire, but his parent, his dad was like an intellectual property lawyer. He was a lawyer, right? A lot of these people are not like, like people, I think people see the, the stories, the Jay-Z stories and the LeBron James stories and the and, and people like that. And they think, I, I'm going to do that too. But you re, you're not realizing that you are risking your future and you're risking having any assets to leave to your kids 
because you are blowing everything on dreams. And, and, and again, follow your passion. Do what makes you happy. But also, if you have children, they have to come first. Once you start procreating, you got to remember that you are no longer the focus of what's going on now. You shouldn't be anyway, right? Me, I personally could probably take a lot of, of risks that could probably get that probably could get me a lot further financially. But I realize what I'm telling y'all right now, I realized that a couple of years ago. I might not be the person that hits the ball out the park. I need to create the ironclad pillow around my kids so that one of them or multiple of them can realize their full potential and they can go on to be the person that that hits the ball out the park and becomes the uh, passionate, famous, not famous. I don't want fame. I don't want them to have fame either. But they can become that person that they want to become and realize full potential, make billions and trillions of dollars or whatever they want to do, that they can change the rest of the family's future forever. I'm, I'm right now creating the foundation for that. I think everybody around my age, I'm born in the early 90s, um, I think everybody that's from in my age range, like especially us from the crack era, we see such extreme poverty that we want to, we, we just want to experience what it's like to be up there, right, financially. But some of y'all got to realize you're pushing, you, 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 you know, I don't want to say too old because in your 30s and, and 40s, you're not really old, but you are too old to still be risking everything when you have kids that need to inherit something. They don't need to only inherit a million dollars. They need to inherit stability. By the time your kids are in college, and I didn't go to, I didn't finish college. I was in college. I didn't finish though, right? So you, you don't, you, you can't look at me and say, oh, you, you saying what you're saying because you did it. Nah, I had to, I had to figure a lot of things out and make a lot of things work that most people don't even know how I made work. And I had to put myself on the back burner to say, we have to build some stability for the kids. And a lot of people my age, I'm seeing that some of the stuff y'all doing. No, man. No, and this is not for me to judge anybody. I'm saying that put your kids first. Kids need to inherit stability first. Before anything, they need to inherit stability. If you don't have, if you have a, a good career, you know, do what do it do what feels good for you morally. Stand on your morals for sure. Don't don't let your principles fold or nothing. Like don't do nothing crazy to get money. Uh, nothing against yourself to get money, but I'm saying that also don't risk your livelihood for a childhood dream that you have that might not be practical. Again, I'm not trying to down talk anybody's dreams. I'm saying think about creating that ironclad cushion. And, I, and I'm using these words specifically for a reason. I say ironclad cushion, right? Because it needs to be really stable. It needs to be amazingly stable. And if your kids fall, they need to be able to, they need to not feel it. I don't understand this whole concept of, you know, making like you want your kids to go out there and fail so they can learn. Your kids don't have to fail or, or they don't have to hit rock bottom to learn a lesson. Right. Of course, everybody's going to fail at something, but they don't need to hit. They don't need to be homeless in the streets to learn a lesson. We don't have to do that to our kids. Once we once we set the foundation for them, everything they do is on top of what you did. 
Bill Gates wouldn't be who he was if he was from the projects that we come from. Y'all, uh, and uh, he just wouldn't. Okay, there's a reason why why so many black people in America are working so hard, and we like are applauding them, and they have a small fraction of the wealth that some of the people who we aspire to be like have. Right? You you got some of these rich white dudes who who created one successful company. And they are hundreds of billions of dollars up, whereas some of our most successful black entrepreneurs have had hundreds of businesses, many of them successful, like they made money, right? And they don't have a fraction of what some of those people have, right? And imagine you build a company, you, which just the part you own is worth $100 billion, not to mention what the company is worth without you. Like on it, you know, outside of you, outside of your ownership, right? Just think about that. A lot of those people have stable foundations. Their parents had stable foundations. They didn't come up, they didn't come up with Microsoft from Westlake Projects. They didn't come up with Microsoft from uh, Kirkwood. You know what I'm saying? They didn't come up with Apple coming out of the Magnolia Projects. They didn't come up with with Apple and Tesla out of, what is it, Soundview Projects or, or, or Highbridge and any of this type of stuff. You know what I mean? They didn't, they didn't come up with these, with these amazing companies from the environments that we came from. So you got to keep that in mind when you, when you do this type of stuff. Man, my bad. I, I probably took a long time on that. Man, I'm, should I stop right now? Should I stop right here? I, I have something to talk about because something blew me that I found out recently, man. Y'all, I talked about black farmers last week and how much money we lost and everything like that. But I just found out that not only is the USDA discriminating against black farmers and, and not only is not only are black farmers having a hard time even staying in business and even keeping their land, they're is a black man running around scamming black farmers and telling them that he, allegedly, I'll say allegedly, but I have a lot of proof. There's there's a black man running around, allegedly running a scam on black farmers in America, mostly in the Southeast. And it is really, really bothering me. I need somebody with a large platform to help me out. We need to get this story out there because this dude is a menace. Now, again, all of this is allegedly because I'm honestly, I, I wouldn't even be mad if he tried to come after me. You know why? Because I need to get in contact with this dude. I really do. I need to get in contact with him. His, his, his website is phony. You know, the, listen. This man's name is Thomas Burrell, and he created the Black Farmers Agriculturalist Association. Now, the way this came across my desk is because I got a call from my dad, right? And my dad told me, yeah, man, our family, we got some family land in, around in South Carolina, and some dude hit up my grandfather and told him that, you know, he could help them get some money from a big lawsuit against the USDA or whatever, right? So I'm like, uh, I'm, so I told my dad, okay, give me the information. I want to look this up because this is crazy. I, never, I haven't heard about this. 
So my dad gives me a little bit of information, told me the dude's name. I look him up. Then my dad sends me a scan document that this man's organization sent to my grandfather. It's nasty activity, man. Let me let me tell you a little bit about, okay, the man's name is Thomas Burrell. He's the president and founder of the Black Farmers Agriculturalists Association, right? Let me show y'all what he looks like so, we, so nobody's mistaken here. This is the fellow here. This is an article from rollingout.com in 2019 written by Mo Barnes. And, and, and Mo Barnes, wherever you are, whoever you are, I don't knock you because you didn't know what was going on. The, the article says, Thomas Burrell, 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 how black farmers' court wins are modeled to cure poverty. Let me read some of this for y'all here. The Black Farmers and Agricultural Association was founded in 97 by Thomas Burrell, a Vietnam vet and black farmer in Tennessee. In 1999, BFAA litigants won a racial discrimination lawsuit against the US, uh, USDA that exposed systemic racism and resulted in a $1.2 billion judgment in the Pickford versus Glickman decision. Because of the work of Burrell and the BFAA, more than 16,000 farmers have received payouts. Rolling Out spoke with Burrell, who still serves as president of the BFAA, about its current federal lawsuit and the lack of support from major civil rights and black leadership. Now, I don't, I don't really need, it, need to read anymore, but let me, let me see something here. Can I zoom in? Look at this. Let me show you all this. This is what's important to me, right? This is the disgusting part here. No, matter of fact, this entire thing is disgusting. But let me just highlight the whole thing here because I need to go back over this real quick. The, the Black Farmers, the BFAA, was founded in 1997 by Thomas Burrell, Burrell, a Vietnam vet and black farmer in Tennessee. In 1999, BFAA litigants won a racial discrimination lawsuit against the U.S. Department of Agriculture that exposed systemic racism and resulted in a $1.2 billion judgment in the Pigford versus Glickman decision. Because of the work of Burrell and BFAA, more than 16,000 farmers received payouts. I had to read that again because it, it, it's very, it's very, very nasty here. Let me tell y'all something real quick, man. People who find the most vulnerable, the people in our group who run around looking for the most vulnerable black people to scam are despicable to me. I don't like them. I don't, I won't say, I won't say a lot because you know, I'm on camera right now and I'm on the internet. This is all on the internet. So I won't say a lot, but these people disgust me. Okay. This is that, these people disgust me. Okay. So it, I, I just read to y'all that, that the gentleman started his uh, company in 1997, right? So then guess what I went and done and did? I went to Tennessee's Secretary of State website because I wanted to look up the business itself. You understand? Because guess what, guys? If you start a business in a United States of America state, in a state in the United States of America, there's a record of it. There's a record of it that can be found. Searched very easily. You don't need any credentials to search for a business in America, in the United States of America. Okay? So I went to the Tennessee Secretary of State website and I searched for this business. 
Let me pull it up here. Guess what, guys? What do you see here? Black Farmers and Agriculturalists Association, Inc. Status. Inactive. Well, wait a minute. Inactive? Initial filing date was January 1st. I mean, January 17th, 2003. Well, wait a minute. This here says that it was founded in 1997. Huh. That's interesting. Okay. Let's go back here, buddy. Initial filing date is in 2003. Hmm. It says the status is inactive. Anybody who, who runs a who has started a business in a state, LLC or corporation, you know that every year you have to register the business. It's only about, it's less than $100 a year to, to keep an active registration. Formed in Delaware. That's fishy because this person is based out of, this person is based out of Memphis, Tennessee. But they formed it in Delaware. You know why? Because a lot of people hide their shell corporations in Delaware because they have different, they have they have, they have corporation laws that allow you to hide things when you register in Delaware and there's tax benefits. Formed in Delaware. If you're running a legit business here, why would you do this here? Okay, let's keep it going. The inactive date. This business has been legally, according to the state of Tennessee, legally inactive since September 17, 2004. Just a year and a half after they filed for this corporation status, they were inactive a year and a half later. Hmm. That is some sick activity. Now, do you see the principal office here? This principal office is a P.O. box in Alabama. The mailing address is the same address a P.O. box in Alabama. You see that X there? This address is undeliverable. Hmm. Let's go down to the registered agent because you know the registered agent, you, you, can't, you can't scam that. The registered agent has the real info. It will tell us who set this up and who is behind this. Let's click on registered agent here. Registered agents. The agent name is Registered Agents, Inc., from this address in Memphis, Tennessee. So what it looks like to me is they did what a lot of people do. They want to hide their identity. So what they do is use uh, registered agents, you know, service that will give them a good mailing address and, you know, they, they can hide behind it. But guess what Tennessee has? Tennessee also has this little tab here that says history. Let's click on history and see what we find here. Huh. So this, com this company was legally inactive in 2004, right? Their initial filing is here in 2003. Notice of determination in June 25th, 2004, right? Because they were sending out mail saying, hey, you need to register your entity. They weren't registering. So they, the dissolution um, happened September 17th, 2004. And all the way up until 2019, they were inactive but they changed their registered agent on an inactive corporation in 2019. Let's see, 
That was April 18th, 2019, right there, right? This article was written by Rolling Out just three months before that. So it appears to me that this man drummed up some more support and decided, you know what? I better get back active. But he wasn't active. All he did was change the registered agent, probably because a lot of people were asking questions. So let's go back and see what he was doing here. Go back and see what he was doing. So registered agent change. Guess what they have over here? They have detail. We get to see what change happened. This idiot. Look at, look at this right here. This man took his name off of everything and tried to hide. This mother, he tried to hide himself. Tom, so the registered agent's first name, he took his name off and put no name in. His last name, took his name off, put no name. The organization name went from no value to registered agents LLC. The address went from this address here to this address here where he can hide. From Covington to Memphis. From Tipton County to Shelby County. This man was trying to hide. This man was trying to hide. You know what really sickens me? Is that people find the most vulnerable black people and try to scam them. Everybody in the world knows that black farmers are a lot of times very inactive when it comes to the use of technology. Right? So a lot of them... When they are told, hey, there's litigation against the USDA, the same USDA that has been discriminating against you for 100, for 100 years, right? The same one that you guys have been fighting against for a very long time. I found a fix for you. Come join me. They, they, a lot of them are not going to look it up. A lot of them are old people. My, my grandfather that got tied up in, wrapped up in all of this stuff, he's in 70 years old. He doesn't use the internet at all. Like he doesn't, I don't even think he got a smartphone, man. Like he's still using a house phone, right? And, and this fella, Thomas Burrell, Burrell, you went and did this. I, I should bring cursing into the fold, but I'm not going to do that. You know, I'm a, I try to keep it clean because these people, when you, when you talk like the way I talk, these people will look for any, any reason to try to take you down. So I'm not, I'm not going to do it. Okay. And I'm, I'm a little bit annoyed by this. I would be annoyed anyway if I found out about a scammer that was taking money from black farmers anyway. But the fact that my family is wrapped up in it, this is way worse. I'm, I'm trying to find as many people as I can when I finish this. And we're going to blast dude because this is no bueno. Now, so, so let's go back. Let's go back, guys. Let's go back. Right? So look, look what it says here. In 1999, BFAA litigants won a racial discrimination lawsuit against the U.S. Department of Agriculture, that's the USDA, that exposed systemic racism and resulted in a $1.2 billion judgment in the Pigford v. Glickman decision. Because This is the nasty. Because of the work of Burrell and the BFAA, more than 16,000 farmers have received payouts. In 1999... This company didn't even exist, right? Because again, I just showed you this entity didn't exist until 2003, right? Disgusting activity. This company didn't even exist. Everything that was going on in this Pickford versus Glickman lawsuit 
not everything, but but it was it was based on what was going on between 1981 and 1997. Right. This company wasn't even around. So the fact that they told this man, Mo Barnes, that that they were behind all these people getting his money is is, is absolutely disgusting. Be and then he took credit for it. Because of the work of Burrell and BFAA, more than 16,000 farmers have received payouts. Guess what also they have on the internet? They have detailed information about everything in the case. First of all, I read the case. I read the original case and I, I read Pigford 1 and Pigford 2. There's two. There's two situations that happen, right? And I'll explain a little bit about it. I read them both. Thomas Burrell, his name is nowhere in the case anywhere. His name is not in the case. His organization name is definitely not in the case anywhere. And pick for one or two. He's not involved. Okay. Let me read this. In 19, I, and my bad, y'all, but I have to say this. In 1997 and 98, two class action lawsuits entitled Pigford versus Glickman and Brewington versus Glickman. Glickman was the, the, sec, the head of the USDA, so that's why they're suing him, but they're really suing the USDA. Anyway, respectively were filed on behalf of groups of African-American farmers. Those lawsuits asserted that the uh, USDA has systematically discriminated against African-American farmers on the basis of race in violation of the Fifth Amendment to the Constitution. The Equal Opportunity, uh, the Equal Credit Opportunity Act, Title VI of the Civil Rights Act, and the Administrative Procedure Act. After Pigford and uh, cases were consolidated, 99 became the largest civil rights settlement in history. The terms of the settlement were outlined in consent decree uh, in a dis consent decree entered by the court on April 14, 1999, which which stated that eligible claimants were required to file their claims with the case administrator by October 12, 1999. Okay, so that last part that I read here is big, right? Okay, there was a couple deadlines happening here. Let me, let, let me um, I just wanted to say that this company, is, this, this is deep, it's a lot going on here. This is deep, and um, th there's too much really to say here because I know of most of the listeners that come to this podcast, they don't, they're not into this type of stuff. But essentially, this BFAA company was not even formed until the deadline to file for these claims was already over. The deadline had been up. So, so let me give you an overview. What this man started doing was he formed this organization. What he started to do is go around to black farmers all over the South and tell them, hey, for $100 a year, you can join our organization, BFAA. And when you join our organization, we will get you the money from the government, right? We'll go get your money from the USDA. The problem is, he was recruiting people to his organization and telling them he was telling them he would get them their money after the filing deadline. Essentially, all of these people sat around for years, almost two decades now, sat around for years waiting to hear something back. They kept paying their dues every year. They were receiving late notices. They were receiving threatening letters in the mail telling them 
that if they do not stay up to date on their dues, they will lose out on their benefits and they won't have access to those benefits. This man was lying to people. Guess what, guys? I'm not guessing here. I have the actual letter that they were sending out to people. Oh, boy, I got to read this, man. I got to read this. Let me read this letter, man. They was threatening my family, man. Threatening my family. Look at this. Look how they try to make this look official with their little logo and shit like that. This stupid look, man. Look, look at the. They got it. They got them a nice little P.O. box here. BFAA link at the top. You know, make somebody think they can actually get in touch with these people. This was this letter was actually sent out in the heart of the pandemic, October 2020, with their logo on it. With an office number on it. I called that number too this morning, by the way. My grandfather wrote on the letter. This is an actual scan of the letter. So this is not Photoshop. The only thing I Photoshopped out was the address, right? I don't want y'all to find where my guy was at. The letter is to all current and non-current members of BFA. Okay. It's it, it has all of this legal jargon up in here and, and, and all of this telling people, hey, you could get. Two important factors have allowed BFAA to continue to advocate and stand in the gap for black farmers. The two factors are as follows. BFAA's association's standing with the courts on behalf of its members, and more importantly, BFAA's members standing with the organization. That is to say that your membership with BFAA is what allows BFAA to continue to fight for you in the federal courts. Without these two conditions, BFAA and its members would not be allowed to continue to pressure claims of discrimination against USDA, uh, against USDA as other previous black farmers who have been paid and compensated have done. Okay. They filed another lawsuit here called the estate of Ernest Boyland versus um, the current USDA secretary. Let, let me find the part where they start to. All right, so let me let me get into this, y'all. I'm sorry, I got to, I got to. Therefore, every member of BFAA who has a pending claim should be willing to continue to fight and give support to though to those who are in turn willing to fight for you. We here at BFAA recognize that some of us have been in the fight for. for for a long time, but we cannot allow the government not to pay us for the admitted discrimination against us and our parents and grandparents simply because of delaying our payment. This is the outcome the USDA wants us giving up. We owe our parents and grandparents more than this. Their hard work, sacrifice, and prayers are what has sustained us and got us to this point. It is up to us to make sure that this and the next generation of African-American farmers has a seat at the table of this country's food production capabilities. If nothing else, COVID-19 should be a wake-up call to the, uh, to the black community. We cannot allow our black farmers to vanish, let alone not be comp compensated for the historic wrong that has been admitted to to be levied against them by the USDA and others. others. We have to stay in the fight. However... At the end of the day, the reality is our members have to maintain their standing with the BFAA. Standing, as said above, is a lawful requirement. That's illegal. What I'm, I'm, I'm saying what I'm saying now. I'm not reading right now. I'm not reading right now, guys. That's illegal. That's a threat. You're lying to people, buddy. You said... 
standing. However, at the end of the day, the reality is our members have to maintain their standing with the BFAA. Standing, as said above, is a lawful requirement. What? Not getting around it. Oh, he said, he said, let me go back. Let me show y'all. He said, no getting around it. USDA's most persistent argument to the courts is that many of BFAA members don't have standing to sue the USDA. You see what's going on here? He's flip-flopping words. Flip-flopping words. He's, he, the USDA is saying that people don't have a standing to sue the USDA. That's different in the standing to say your standing with the BFAA is related to any lawsuit with the USDA. They don't even have a lawsuit. There's no lawsuit happening. They've been trying to sue. Nobody's hearing this case because he's he's lying. Scamming. Like he's using the wrong argument and just trying to do. He's not even a lawyer, guys. Accordingly, BFAA is sending this letter to all of its members, informing them that they have they will have to become current with their membership dues within 90 days from the receipt of this letter. If you are not a current $100 member within 90 days from the date atop this letter, your membership with BFAA will be canceled. That is to say, the BFAA will no longer consider you as having membership standing with it and any correspondence with a federal court will not be recognized. Do y'all see how disgusting this is? Sincerely, Thomas Burrell. Black Farmers and Agriculturalists Association, Inc. President. Let me go back real quick. Black Farmer, this is Tennessee website, Tennessee Secretary of State. Black Farmers and, and Agriculturalists Association, Inc. So y'all see, that's the exact same thing that this goofball put at the bottom of this letter. Black Farmers and Agriculturalists Association, Inc. In Memphis, Tennessee. Same thing. The same company that has been inactive since 2004, right? This nut, this nut is telling people you got to get current within 90 days. And he sent this letter to, to black elderly people in the middle of the pandemic. Disgusting. I did not want to talk about this for this long, but I had to because once I started, I was not able to stop. Listen, man, there's some disgusting people out here. There are some despicable people out here okay i don't know another way to say it i do not know another way to say it make sure you subscribe to the channel thank y'all for listening man i'm out